Today's episode is A Diminished Voice, A Study of Miriam. As with many women in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it often feels as if there's radio silence, a blank canvas, or an empty page. Yet, between the stories that are recited in Sunday school and on Sunday morning, there are echoes, echoes that reverberate a multitude of voices that have been quieted and hushed through history. These are the stories we want to look at. The stories of broken, rebellious, good, and warrior women of the Bible. Today, we're going to look at Miriam, a prophetess, a leader, a teacher, and a bit of a rebel. Miriam's story is a story that is often overlooked. We all know Moses and even recognize the name of Aaron. But how overlooked or diminished is the story of Miriam in scripture? I hope this episode is the beginning of reclaiming the voices that have been diminished in scripture, but also within our society. Often within ministry for women, there is this element of not being recognized often associated with our gender. It is a hard concept to describe or explain unless you have experienced such things. So here is one story that attempts to illustrate it from someone who has experienced it personally. I had been leading and teaching full-time in ministry for over eight years. I started to notice small discrepancies when I was first married. My husband was on my team of staff and other leaders would ask him for information or decisions that would be my area of leadership. These were small things initially, more annoying for us both, and yet these annoyances seemed to persist, and as time went on I began to recognize a systemic reduction of my own voice and leadership. It felt like the frog being boiled in hot water. If done correctly, and you start with cold water and gradually increase the heat, the frog doesn't even recognize what is happening. That is how it worked for me. It was small things that were easy to shrug off, and often because we were in a community that teaches about laying down your rights and turning the other cheek. You don't recognize that your voice and role is being diminished because you are trying so hard to love your neighbor that you don't realize that neighbor is also stealing something from you. I remember one moment when I began to see that the water was heating up, and I noticed that something was missing, not because I gave it to them but because it was taken without permission. I had just found out I was pregnant and my husband and I were moving to a shared leadership role. We went into a meeting with over a hundred other staff where the governing leadership then shared that I was going to be a mother and that I was giving my mantle of leadership to my husband. We were stunned into silence. First, I did not know that my new role as a mom meant I had to relinquish more of my voice And secondly, I didn't know what mantle they were talking about. 
but there was a deep certainty within my bones that they could not take a piece of my identity and give it to anyone. But again, that was the subtlety of the culture we were in. We didn't even fully realize what we were relinquishing until they had already taken it. It took me years for me to recognize what they had taken and years for me to reclaim that voice. This is a lament titled, To the God Who Sees and Hears His People. This lament engages with the very same topic of what it feels like to be silenced, what it feels like to have your voice diminished. To the God who sees and hears his people, why do you allow for truth to be hidden, for the righteous to be silenced? Hands are bound, voices are rendered powerless by those who proclaim your name. Like an artist without their brushes, or a carpenter without their tools, so a teacher without their voice yields nothing. Unaware of what was stolen because good intentions whitewashed the pain, awoken only when the grave was dug, my soul is restricted to inner wails from heavy anguish of its burden. O God, unbind the oppressed and raise a voice of the mute. Give eyes to the blind to see the injustice and abuse, O God. Do not leave your words without a voice. Be faithful again to your people. As you brought the prophets of old to bring correction, bring them once again to remind your people. As you have brought healing to the brokenhearted, restore the hearts and voices of your servants. In the silence you speak, in the darkness you shine, in the void you are present, you, O God, are worthy. You resurrected what was taken, you give a voice to the voiceless, you will unbind your children, and you will give sight to the blind. You see and hear your people. This lament communicates the anguish of heart when voices are restricted and ignored. My hope is that as we study the story of Miriam, that we give voice to her story, to her narrative. May we resurrect what was taken, not just from Miriam's story, but to the many voices that I felt ignored and hushed. The beautiful thing about studying Miriam's story is that although we have felt as if Miriam's voice has been diminished, possibly within the church or within society, and even as many of us identify with this, the beautiful thing is, is that God's word is true, that her voice has not been diminished in his word, that her story remains constant, that her story actually gives voice and rise to God's heart for women. And a part of that voice is her leadership. A part of that voice is her being a prophet, a teacher, a warrior, and a bit of a rebel. There are three main events that is talked about within scripture surrounding Miriam's life. The first is Miriam at the Nile. The second is the song of Miriam. And the third is the discipline of Miriam. And these are the three main events that we're going to engage in within this episode. 
the first event of Miriam's life that we're able to glean more understanding of her story, the fullness of who Miriam is, and the voice and the role that she plays within scripture is Miriam at the Nile. Now to build this context of Miriam and who she is, it's important to really understand Miriam's family. And we know from Numbers chapter 26 verse 59 as well as 1 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 29 that she is the sister of Moses and Aaron and the daughter of Amran and Jehokabed. She first appears as the unnamed older sister of Moses, who watches over his basket in the Nile and arranges the services of their own mother as Moses' wet nurse. She is more than a decade older than Moses and is referred to in Exodus chapter 2 verse 8 as Alma, the term for a young woman of marriageable age. If we remember historically within Israelite history, this is also the time that the Pharaoh was killing the young boys of Israel. Therefore, after three months of Jehokabed hiding her son Moses, she knows that she can no longer hide him from the danger of death. Therefore, she sends Moses down the Nile in a basket. Often in the retelling of this story within Israel's history, the focus is on Moses as the deliverer of Israel. But ironically, there's a myriad of voices within this story. The voices of Jehokabed, the voice of Miriam, the voice of Pharaoh's daughter. The central and key figures in these stories are actually women that God is using in his sovereignty to orchestrate his plan of deliverance to Israel. I think about what it would have felt like to be Jehokabed, the mother of Moses, of Aaron, and of Miriam. What would it have taken to have raised three leaders Three deliverers who would go down historically of those that led Israel out of captivity and into freedom. What cost did she bear? What hope did she hold? And what courage and what truth did she give her children? Think of Miriam. This young girl of marriageable age following the basket down the river. Did her mother tell her to follow the basket? Did she know the cost if she were to have been found out? What love, what courage it took for her to follow the basket. Not just to follow the basket, she then sees that the basket meets none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And she doesn't just leave the basket there. She then engages with royalty. Remember that Miriam is a slave. She's the lowest of the lowest. And she chooses to approach Pharaoh's daughter. The very people that have put the order of execution of the Israelite boys. 
We see bravery and we see courage in this young woman. Not only that, we see an immense amount of wisdom as she then is able to orchestrate this plan of allowing her mother to nurse Moses. Now, the last character in this story is one we often don't even think of. We often just glance over, and that's Pharaoh's daughter. But as I was thinking about this story, I was really struck by the capacity that she had to have held to defy her father's orders. She would have known his decree to kill the young Israelite boys, and yet she chooses not just to save Moses, but she chooses to adopt him. And not just adopt him, but then she chooses to send him back to the Israelites for him to be nurse, which implicationally meant that he would receive some kind of education or some kind of knowledge of God and of his people. As we think of this event at the Nile, the deliverance of Moses from death to life, it really foreshadows God delivering his own people. And he uses these three women in his sovereignty, in his plan to save the deliverer, to deliver the deliverer. We see Jehokabed, the cost of a mother, and her choices as she raises her children, raises these three leaders. We see Miriam, we see her courage, we see her bravery, and we see her wisdom. We see the daughter of Pharaoh willing to defy her own father's decree for what she deemed as worthy. The second event that we're going to look at within Miriam's life is the Song of Miriam. Now, this song actually occurs after the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And so we see the miracles, we see the plagues, we see God leading his people by a pillar of fire and a cloud. We see that they have crossed the Red Sea. And then we come to Exodus chapter 15, verse 20 through 21. And it says, Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now these are two verses that are very easy to glaze over within the scripture because they seem almost insignificant. Oh, you have Miriam and she's dancing and she's singing and that's just what happens within the church, right? Wrong. Historically, within this culture and society, we see that Miriam is actually articulating through ritual song and dance the religious dimensions of Israel's foundational event. Now, what that means is that Miriam is actually the first person, not the first woman, the first person to teach Israel about 
God's deliverance in what he has done for Israel. Miriam is straight up teaching Israel theology. In Micah chapter 6 verse 4, we also see that God is talking to his people Israel and he's getting them to remember Israel's history. And he says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to you, also Aaron and Miriam. So we see the roles that Miriam has played within Israel's history. She is a leader and deliverer of Israel. We see that she is called a prophet in Exodus chapter 15. And we also see that Miriam is a teacher. Now, as with all good stories, we not only have to recognize the significance, the good, the value, the beauty, but also the brokenness of the story, the brokenness of humanity. And Miriam is no exception. The third event that we want to look at within Miriam's life is the discipline of Miriam. Now this takes place in Numbers chapter 12. We also see that God reminds Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 9 when he says, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam along the way after you came out of Egypt. There have been many people that have used this specific verse as a warning of Miriam going beyond her role or her position. And yet, I think what I see most in this voice is not what Miriam did, but what God did. That it was about God disciplining, but also God restoring Miriam. So let's look at what did Miriam actually do to deserve this discipline. The issue of contention lies in Numbers chapter 12, 1 through 15. And we see that Moses marries a woman of Cush. Now there's debate whether this is Miriam's first wife or if Moses is actually marrying a second woman. The text isn't specifically clear on this, but what we do see is that there seems to be an issue of contention regarding who Moses has married. Some commentators would say that this is really the secondary issue or rather a non-issue. However, there are some commentators that would actually say that this is a racial issue. Because the origins of Moses' wife are given, some commentators speculate that because she is of Cush, this being of Ethiopia, and then because Miriam is then struck with leprosy, and the text states that her hand turns white, we have this contrast between um, colors where some would then speculate that this is highlighting the judgment of Miriam and her supposed racism. Although I had never read the text that way, I think it adds an interesting dimension as we kind of look at this contrast of Moses marrying a woman of Cush as well as Miriam being struck with leprosy. 
I think a larger issue that we see within the text is this question that is posed. Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Now, this is the question that Miriam asks within the text. Most commentators, and as you read through the story, this seems to be highlighted that there seems to be some sort of issue with Moses's authority um, tied to possibly his marriage to this Cushite woman. But I think more importantly, there's the question of who is really in charge and is Moses the only one in charge? In some ways, the text seems to indicate that Miriam kind of is representative of some of Israel, that she is voicing not just her own question of Moses' authority, but Israel's questionings and stirrings of um, Moses' authority over the people. So we see that Miriam is disciplined, and this discipline is through Miriam being struck with leprosy. Now, the text indicates that this rebellion was not Miriam's alone. It seems that Aaron in some way is also involved. So why isn't Aaron also disciplined in the same way that Miriam is? Some people would say that Miriam seems to be the instigator Um, Or some people would also say that she is the representative of the whole of Israel. Therefore, God takes seriously this contention of his leadership. I think we also have the other point that Aaron would have been the priest or the mediator between God and his people. Therefore, if he was struck with leprosy, he would be deemed as unclean and unable to mediate between God and his people. And so you see that God has mercy upon his people and does not strike Aaron as well with leprosy. You also see how quickly God deals with rebellion, that this is the beginning of a nation. They have just been delivered from Israel. They are in the wilderness and they need unity of mind, of heart and spirit. And that by dealing with this rebellion, whether Miriam is the spokesperson or the instigator, we see that God is going to continue to draw his people together. And that means that there has to be discipline, that there has to be alignment, there has to be accountability. And we see that Miriam is disciplined for her actions. So we see that she is struck with leprosy, which is a skin condition, which means that she would have been considered unclean. Now, immediately you see Aaron and Moses intercede on her behalf. Now, some would say that Aaron does so immediately, believing that he would be the one to be struck with leprosy next. But I think you also see the relationship. You see their desire for mercy and redemption to be given. She is healed, but for seven days, she is considered unclean and has to be 
outside the camp of Israel. Now, this in and of itself would have been punishment and discipline as this is a communal society. And therefore, she is without community. This would have been a time of reflection, of thinking, um, and of accountability of heart and mind. I think the story of discipline communicates something important. I think it communicates the equal significance and brokenness of men and women in God's redemptive plan. It communicates that God uses women, but God also expects holiness from women as well. We are held to the same standard that men are held to. Now, the story of Miriam actually ends in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, and this is the burial of Miriam. There were three stops that Israel made before they arrived at the promised land, and it was the burial of their three leaders, of Aaron, of Miriam, and of Moses. This shows the significance of her role within Israel her leadership, and also signifies the importance of who she was in her leadership as a teacher and as a prophetess. My hope is that this episode revives the voice of Miriam and the many other women that have felt as if their voice has been forgotten or diminished. May we tell our stories and tell the stories of other women whose voices have not been heard. May we remember that we serve a God that listens and a God that resurrects. Thank you again for listening. We're so glad that you're here. As always, if you have any questions or thoughts or comments, feel free to drop us a line in the comments section on our uh, website, journeyofthephrases.com. You can also uh, contact us on our When Narratives Collide Facebook page. Uh, Yeah, we'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, We hope that you're finding this series, this episode, uh, encouraging, thought-provoking, maybe even challenging. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, we will continue our series in two weeks uh, when we look at the life of Deborah. So until then, take care and we'll catch you later.